Please enjoy this special message with Pastor Andy Glover from our 2019 Identity and Inheritance Conference. Thank you. Well, I feel um, completely at home here in California. We lived here for many years. We, we, um, as you can tell by my accent, um, I'm from Texas. <laughs> Hi, y'all. <laughs> I was um, brought up in Britain, and I had the pleasure. I realized that the best-looking girls in the world were Swedish, so I married a Swede. <laughs> and um, we, we moved out to Southern California in 1998 and um, there kind of established our ministry, lived in a place called Huntington Beach. You've probably heard of Huntington, you know, Surf City, USA. And um, so we, we fell in love with this state and we're very, very familiar with it. Now, nowadays, we live part of the time in Sweden, in my wife's hometown, in the southern part of Sweden. And the other half of the time, we live in um, South Carolina. Yeah, you pay less tech tax there. You know that. <laughs> Anyhow, we get to do that. But most of the time, um, I'm, I'm on the road speaking. Uh, we get to travel the world. I've, I've, over the years, done a lot of ministry um, in Africa, specifically um, in West Africa. Um, actually lived there for a period of time as well and traveled throughout that whole region um, also quite extensively, um, both across the States, Canada, and also the USA. And in recent years, been going into Pakistan. And we're getting ready next month, um, actually, to go and do another Father Heart A school um, in, in um, Pakistan. So we're really excited. And the Christians there are really hungry. And what's really amazing about ministering there is that every single one of these guys has gone through some sort of persecution. You know, they, it's really cost them to follow, you know, to be a Christian, to follow the Lord, to have a faith. And, you know, they'll tell you stories of how they've been persecuted. But when we did the A school there last year, they were just drinking this revelation in. And one thing we've come to see and understand is that we, you know, you, you don't um, listen to a good message. You actually drink a good message, okay? What we're sharing and what I'm going to be sharing this weekend is not meant for your brains, but it's actually meant for your heart, okay? You know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that this weekend, but one of the things we normally do right at the get-go of an A school is encourage people not to take notes. Well, one of the reasons for that, and it's okay, if you're taking notes this weekend, that's perfectly okay. Um, that's Okay. But one of the things we encourage people with is that, is that often when we take notes, we actually switch our mind on and it closes down our hearts. And one of the things we're learning in this revelation is that we have to listen with our hearts. It's our hearts that receive. When we believe in faith, it is from our heart, isn't it? We confess with our mouth because we believed in our heart. So the very source of salvation in the heart of the believer, in our hearts, it originates actually here, in the very core of our being. The Father speaks into our heart. We have revelation, and it's sourced out of that place. 
You know, I, I kind of joke with people, but m- my wife and I love to watch movies. And, you know, we, we scan which are the best movies out there. And we've got a few favourites. One of my favourite movies of all time is a movie about two Olympic runners. It's called Chariots of Fire. Anybody seen that movie? Just a great movie. Well, anytime we watch a movie, we, we've got to have the, you know, the right ambiance. You know, you've got to have the lights have got to be dimmed down. You've got to get something out to put your feet on, get some popcorn made. You know, the atmosphere's got to be exactly right, hasn't it? You know, it's got to be perfect, okay? And we'll sit down and we'll turn the movie on and we'll watch it, pause it every so often. You have to go to the restroom, of course, and we'll just enjoy it. And quite often my, my wife will say to me, are you crying? And often I do. In the last five, six years, I just, I, I even wept when, when, when Jack Bauer left Chloe in 24. That made me cry. I'm going to say, So, so I know God, the Father's done something deep in my heart. Well, anyhow, often when we watch a movie, we'll go through it and it's impacting our heart, deeply impacting our heart. And then often, you know, you go to bed, get up next morning, sitting down, having a cup of coffee in the morning, and then we'll just start talking about the movie and we'll, we'll just share areas of the movies that's really impacted us. It's in, it spoke to us or it revealed something or, you know, we were, we were impacted in some way. And every single time that has happened, we never took notes. You know, the, the, the ability of your heart to retain revelation is far greater than the ability of your mind to retain information. Because it's the heart that the Father speaks to. When the Father comes to reveal himself to you and I, he doesn't come to the mind, but he comes to the heart. The place of interaction, the place of communion, the the place of dialogue is the heart. That's where the Father comes. He comes to actually speak with our heart. Now, if you're anything like me, because I've been involved in Christian ministry since 1985. I started when I was two years old. And um, just joking. Some of you looked at me really seriously. Right? And, you know, we, we just gave everything. We were in an organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And we, we were based in the UK. We lived in Scotland. And we, we got to take teams around Europe, we got to take teams into Africa, and those years of our life were just, just filled with excitement and adventure. We just gave everything to Jesus, everything to Jesus. Now, back in the 1980s, there was a man that was, that was known across YWAM circles called Jack Winter. That's who um, Pastor Greg has just mentioned. Well, Jack Winter was, was one of the first pers- people that, that anyone heard talking about the Father's love. Of course, we've all heard about Jesus. We've heard about the Holy Spirit. But he was one of the first guys to get up there and really talk about the Father's love. And he was the f- one of the first persons to minister to people by actually embracing them. 
Now we have something called the Father's Embrace. I believe some of you have actually seen that in operation and perhaps you've actually received an embrace. And Jack Winter was one of the first guys to actually do a Father's Embrace. And by that, actually impart the love of the Father into people's hearts. Well, you for the mission in those days, on every single week of a DTS, they had a week on the Father Heart of God. And there was a little book that was written called The Father Heart of God by a guy called Floyd McClung. Have you read that? And that book, I think, came out probably in about the mid-80s. And a lot of people in YWAM got that book. Floyd McClung was the YWAM leader in, in Holland and had an international profile. And everybody read that book. But everybody that went for a DTS in the 80s and 90s went for a whole week on the Father Heart of God. And so I'd heard that. I'd heard that. I'd even taught that on a YWAM DTS. And I'd seen people minister to. One of my best friends in Youth for the Mission in the 1990s was a guy that embraced people and saw the love of the Father imparted into people's hearts. And so even though I'd heard that, even though I'd been around that and experienced people being impacted by it to some degree, I realized now looking back, it didn't actually impact my heart. I knew about it, heard about it. I could even teach on it. Of course, it wasn't very anointed. But I, I try and muster up some anointing from somewhere to try and look like perhaps it was anointed. It wasn't very successful. And then we just continued on. You know, we, we, we continued on in ministry We came to America in 1998, and in 2002, we moved from Southern California to Ghana in West Africa. And for a long time, I'd had a a vision and a passion to really impact the West Coast of Africa. I'd been impacted by Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. I'd already been in and out of West Africa on many different occasions. And both my wife and I had such a a passion in our hearts to really go to this nation and to, to really bring the presence of God, to bring the glory, to bring the anointing. We'd been very impacted by the Toronto. We'd been very impacted by many different facets of the renewal and the revival that broke out in Toronto. And when we went to Ghana in 2002, we were just really ready to really impact a nation and see transformation come to a nation. Well, three years into living in Africa, we'd, we'd put our video Bible school into many churches. I was involved in running a Christian radio station. I was involved in actually doing a radio show that became one of the most popular radio shows actually in the nation. But after three years into living in Africa, my wife and I were absolutely burnt out. I mean, see, anytime I did something, I was going to do it with all my energy, with all my effort. I was going to put everything into it. And of course, going to Africa was no different. 
We're going to put everything into it. We're going to see God move. Things are going to happen. X, Y, Z. But instead, everything became a torturous battle. Issues came up in our hearts. Issues came up in our relationships. Issues came up with our children. We didn't have an adequate support structure around us in Africa. And therefore we struggled. We were looking for help. We weren't finding it. But because we were so tenacious and passionate, we just pressed on. We just keep going. That's what you do. And in 2005, we were back in every summer. We'd come back to America, base ourselves in Southern California, and then travel around a whole bunch of churches that we had connection with. And we would tell some of our stories, and they would take offerings. And then we would go back for another year to Africa. Well, that summer in 2005, somebody gave me a set of CDs by another Jack, not Jack Winter this time, but Jack Frost. You might ask, are they related? No, they're not, even though they've got similar names. (laughs) Frost and Winter. The frost comes in winter, doesn't it? Well, anyhow, somebody gave me this set of CDs by Jack Frost called From Slavery to Sonship. You may have listened to them or actually seen the videos. And at that time... My wife and I were just so tired. We were, we, we were really and truly hitting the wall. And we'd given everything. You know, we'd seen God move. We'd seen miracles. We'd seen the power of God. We'd seen all sorts of things. We'd done every type of ministry, I think, that was known to man. And we were just done. Well, I got this set of CDs and started listening to these CDs. And as I started listening to these CDs, it was like my attention was grabbed. It was like all of a sudden, it had my ear, you know, I was listening. And then Jack in his, you know, profound way would start telling his stories. You've heard Jack tell his stories of you, Jack Frost. He just had amazing stories. He was a fisherman on the East Coast out of North Carolina, and he just had amazing, amazing stories. Well, of course, he just caught my attention. And I found myself weeping. And it was really, it was really, you know, it was really difficult for me because, you know, you know I, wasn't, I wasn't known for the one that cries. Normally it was my wife, the one known for crying, but all of a sudden she'd, li- she'd be watching me listen to these messages and I would just be weeping. And it was, it was unusual because, you know, Andy doesn't cry. And as he was sharing on these messages, he talked about something that I hadn't really come across before or even considered before. Even though there was real struggles going on in my heart, real issues that I hadn't found victory over, issues in my marriage, issues in my family. He talked about something that grabbed my attention and I was kind of surprised that I'd not heard about it before. After all, I've been through all these 
different YWAM courses and all sorts of different stuff that we've been through. But when he started talking about the orphan heart, it was like my ears just perked up. And as he started to describe what the orphan heart was like, it was like he was talking about me. He was talking about what I was like, who I was. He was talking about my struggles, my stuff. He was talking about my thinking processes. And it was like he was just painting a picture of what I, I, I knew the reality to be on the inside here in my heart. And I would just cry. I remember that summer in 2005, I listened to that series of seven CDs four times. I just couldn't put them down. And I started to realize something. Something became obvious to me. You see, I knew Jesus as my savior. You know, my salvation was not in question. That was not in question. I knew that Jesus was my savior. I'd been to Bible school. I'd I'd read scripture. I'd, I'd experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing. I, that, again, was not in, in doubt or in question. But what became profoundly real to me was this, is that in, in realizing and putting language to the condition of my heart, I realized that my heart lacked something. My heart did not have something that it was meant to have. Orphan, by definition, is an individual that doesn't have parents. I've lived in Africa and been around many, many, many orphans. Many, many, many orphans. They think and act and behave in a certain way. And they don't have a place called home. They don't know who their parents are. Often they're institutionalized. Often they've been adopted into another family. But they don't have parents or who they can call their real parents. And the conclusion I came to was this. By what was being described by Jack, I realized that my heart was orphaned. And my heart was orphaned because my heart lacked a revelation that God was my father. I knew him as my savior. I knew him as my provider. You know, we've been in full-time ministry for 35 years and God has provided all the way along. We've known him as our provider, as our protector, as our healer, our deliverer, and all these other different things that we attribute to who God is. 
But when it, comes down, when it came down to God being our Father, I realised that wasn't true. I didn't know him as my father. I didn't have revelation that he's a father to me. I had no concept or understanding of the father actually fathering me, being a father to me, being a father into my world, into where I am. I had no concept or understanding of that. What I had was, of course, I had scripture and verse. I had teaching. I'd, I'd read the book. I'd, I'd heard some of the messages in you for the mission. And I had information. I had information about God as a father. I could point you to scripture and verse. I, I, I could show you it. But there was no internal revelation on the inside that he was my father. Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. And as he's talking to his disciples, he just throws them out a question. And you you kind of think that is Jesus trying to catch these dudes out? Because sometimes they were definitely caught out. They weren't on the same page. You know, they were scrambling for an answer. They were grasping at straws sometimes. Well, he throws a question out to his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? Now, some of these disciples would open their mouths before their brains were in gear. And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. Now you, you, you start to know and realize and understand that Jesus is drawing them into something. His question was actually leading somewhere. There was a point to the question. It was going somewhere. And then he turned to Simon Peter and he says, well, Simon Peter, who do you say that I am? Well, Peter this time hits the jackpot. I'm going to say it wasn't that true all the time, but this time, bam, Peter gets it. I said, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. I'm thinking, hot dog, you've hit the nail right on the head, Peter. You've got it. Then Jesus says something to Peter that's profoundly important in relation to our faith. I want us to turn to that verse in Matthew, Matthew 16, verse um, 17. This is what Jesus says to Peter. Because our faith and the church is built on revelation. Our Christian growth, our walking in faith and by faith and with God is is by and through revelation. 
not information. And so after Peter says this, this is what Jesus says to Peter. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus clearly states that, that what Peter saw and who Peter saw was by revelation that the Father gave to Peter. And then Jesus says, upon this revelation, this rock, I will build my church. That is the the building block, if you like, for for church. It's the building block, I believe, for our Christian life. Now that, by definition, we call that very simply revelation. Revelation where the Father reveals something to us. He shows us something. The eyes of our heart see something that we've not seen before. When the Father comes to us in the same way that Jesus has already come to us, that is seen and caught by revelation in the same way that we see and catch Jesus, if you like, or Jesus catches us, however it works. But it's our heart that has revelation. In 2005, I realized, oh my goodness me, I've got a whole ton of information here but my heart doesn't know you, Father. I, I know about love, but I've not really experienced your love, Father. I'm not really convinced, Father, that you love me. If I'm really honest with you, Father, I'm not, I'm not sure and I'm convinced by your love for me. I, I, I think I know it in my head, but I'm not sure that I know it in my heart. My heart is lacking. My my heart does not understand that. My heart has not received that. My heart has not seen that. And I realize that I'm I'm caught in this kind of conundrum. On the one hand, I I know about something intellectually. I, I have information But on another hand, my heart is crying out for an experience of something that seems to be so far away from me. My heart is looking for it. My heart is longing for it. My brain knows about it, but my heart does not have it. And I realize in that, I realize in that scenario, in that situation, it's almost like we're in this huge misconnect in relation to what we think we know in comparison to what we've really experienced, to what we've really encountered. That's a common word we use, you know, in renewal revival circles, isn't encounter. I like, I like the word experience. And I, I could see it. I could see it when I looked at my life. 
I could see it by the way I behaved, by the way I was thinking, by the way I talked, by the way I did things, by the way I dealt with people, the way I, I was in marriage, areas in my life where I struggled. I could see it. I could see it in relation to how I related with my children and how my children related with me. There was a misconnect. I realized that I could be legalistic. Legalism is just another form of agoraphobia. And because my heart has no real revelation that God is my father. Well, when I look at Matthew chapter 16, and we can also look at Rome, um, Matthew um, chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, verse 7, um, 7, 25, sorry, Matthew eleven twenty-five. Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he says, at that time, Jesus answered and said to them, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus went out of the house. That's what I heard. (laughs) That's okay. Was that? I perhaps I should have read another verse. I don't know. (laughs) Wow, that's pretty scary. That. (laughs) Let's start again. (laughs) I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and it revealed them to babes. Now, now here Jesus is saying, listen, hang on a sec, that, 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 that through our childlike attitude, there actually comes a place where we're actually able to reveal or things, for things to be revealed to us that we would be able to see what we're meant to see. You see, I, I love, you know, I've just, my, my first grandson has just arrived into this world. Isn't that amazing? On Monday, he's four weeks old. And they gave him a, a Scandinavian Germanic name called Otto. O-T-T-O. What's really great with that name is if, if you can't spell you can spell it back to front or the right way around, and both times you'll get it right. That's really cool, that. I thought that's really clever. And it's amazing how children have this incredible ability to trust. Who taught children to trust? When I saw all my three children born, they just trusted their mother, and they trusted me immediately. They didn't have to be taught how to trust. I remember my three children and my wife breastfeeding them, and they just trusted. They just drank. They didn't question anything. Is it decaffeinated or is it caffeinated? Everything was... (laughs) Come on, she's Swedish. She's got to be caffeinated. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but there was no question there's no question about learning 
or trying to trust because with, with a simple childlike attitude, we trust, don't we? I remember taking my two, two and a half year old son, my, my youngest, uh, no, sorry, my oldest, two and a half years old. He was like blue eyes, blonde curly hair. And he was like Superman in training. He would wear this little green shirt every day. He loved his little green T-shirt. And he had his nappy that was out here somewhere. And he would run around our house in Scotland, which was probably one of the coldest places on this planet. And he would just run around all day. And then he would get me to go upstairs with him. And he would stand on the top step, have me stand halfway down, and then he'd want to jump off the top. My wife hid in the kitchen. She didn't want to be anywhere near it. And he'd literally, I'd have to be far enough away from him that it had to be dangerous. But, but he, had no, he had no thought of, of impending danger because he just trusted. And so Jesus here as, as he starts off this, as, as he starts to share, he says, and, and you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to babes. Wow. Even so, even so Father, for so it seemed good to you, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So here Jesus very clearly says that the Son wills to reveal the Father. Jesus' place in our life, if you like, is actually to reveal to us who the Father is. Jesus is not the destination of our faith. John 14 verse 16 says that he is only the way to the Father. The Father is our destination. Jesus has come to reveal the Father. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this and I'm starting to get hold of this and I'm thinking, God, I just, I want to know this. I want to know you as Father. I want to know your love. So our board that were overseeing our ministry said to us in February 2006, you guys need to come out of Africa and you need to come back to California and you guys just need to take some time off and rest. Now when we left Ghana that year, we thought it was ministry was all over. We weren't even sure... If, if our marriage was even going to work. Everything was very fragile. We were so tired, we were so weary. We were, we were done. But it's one thing that I held to is that at that time, I was so desperate. I just wanted to know God as my father. And I wanted to know this love. Because if the, if the Bible talks about that, 
if the Bible reveals that through what we read and through what is said and what is declared, surely, surely that can be experienced on earth. Surely that can be experienced here. It can, be, it can be encountered right here. I don't just want that to be some dogma or theory or, or something out there that's a thousand miles from my life. I want that to be a living reality in here because I know and firmly believe that Jesus came to reveal the Father, who his Father was. I remember getting back to Southern California in the summer of 2006 and we'd, we'd acquired some soaking CDs. Now, I, w- I was brought up in England and when I was brought up, we would, we would have a bath once a week. We didn't shower, we'd had a bath once a week. And my dad is a pastor He's still preaching to this day. He's 88 years old, still preaching. And we would always have a bath on a Saturday evening because we go to church on Sunday. We had to be clean for church, not grubby. My mum says, you're grubby. She always just says to me, wash your hands, you're grubby. I was. I was out there playing in mud and playing football and everything else. So we would soak in the bath. So that was my concept of soaking. (laughs) The idea of playing a a CD with instrumental music and sitting down quietly and allowing the Father to come and love you was a kind of foreign notion to me. I remember that the first time in Toronto that they, they said to people that, and I was at this conference in 2000, end of 2005 in Toronto with Heidi Baker and Ed Purick, and they, they had this soaking time. Now, I'd never soaked before. I'd soaked in a bath, tub. A bathtub. Because there's a place in England called Bath. My, my daughter lives in Bath. They call, they call it Bath because that's where the Romans built Roman baths. They had artesian springs there and they, had their, they came to Bath for a bath. Well, I went to this soaking in God's glory conference and they said, we're now going to have a soaking session. And they said, will you please, will you please find somewhere where you can rest comfortably for two hours? I'm thinking, two hours? What are you on? What are you, two hours? Crikey, you want me to be quiet for two hours and do nothing? And of course, the, you know, the whole idea was to rest. We're going to rest. I, at that time, I had no idea what rest was. I thought rest was turning the lights off at night, kissing your wife goodnight, and sleeping till the morning. I thought that was rest. 
Well, everyone went and found a place, and I thought, I'm really in trouble here. I thought, I better go and get a member of the ministry team to, to lay over me while I was soaking to make sure that I didn't wriggle or get away. Because so, I had no idea what to do. I had no idea. My, my, my heart was really struggling. Well, I laid on the floor and I had this guy come and pray with me. And they start off the soaking time. And all I could think about was the time. I'm thinking, how long is two hours going to take? Because <laughs> I'm not even thinking about, Father, come and love me or Father, I want to enjoy your presence or reveal something to him. But two hours, crikey, that's a long time. <laughs> well, you start trying to imagine how long has gone by. Has as, as 20 minutes gone by? Has 30 minutes gone by? And I'm starting to think. And then it's in the afternoon. And I think they did this deliberately, thinking that most people will want to sleep anyhow. Well, this is the only time when I, didn't, I couldn't sleep. Now I'm just so... I just got my mind wound up about this. And I thought, I'm going to look at my watch to see how long has passed. Because it's going from my mind, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 15 minutes. And my watch, seven minutes has gone by. <laughs> Lord, help me fall asleep, please. Because my heart could not connect. My heart could not connect. Where in, in, into a year later, or a little under a year later, when I'm getting these now soaking CDs, I think, well, let's, let's not do 120 minutes. Let's just start with 30. Let's try and cut it down a bit. And I would put this soaking CD on every morning. And honestly, I was, we were so tired that it was even like our prayers had run out. We didn't know what to pray. We didn't know where in the Bible to read. Of course we still believed God. Of course we were still Christians. You know, our salvation hadn't leaked out. We were still Christian, but we were just in this place of just really looking for, for God in a new way. Really looking for God. Well, we put these CDs on, and I would just sit there, and the only prayer I would pray was this. I'd heard Heidi Baker say, when she soaked, she would say, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. When I soaked, I had a prayer. And the only prayer I prayed every day was, Father, come and love me. That's all I prayed. It didn't even feel like I had faith or, you know, it's not like, I'm going to storm the gates of heaven with this prayer. It was just a, a cry from my heart. Father, come and love me. Every day. After a few weeks, it's like, it's, it's, nothing's really happening. It's like dry. It's like it's empty. Where, where are you, God. And then one morning I put the CD on early in the morning and I, I'm just sitting there with a cup of coffee and just, I put the CD on and I said, Father, 
just come and love me again. And that morning, I remember just feeling some tears just fall down one side of my face. I thought, wow, I'm, I'm, one eye is crying. <laughs> the other eye is not crying yet, but one eye is crying. And I had this strange sense that it, somehow this is safe. Somehow this is, um, somehow I'm being embraced. Somehow I'm being accepted. Somehow it's okay just to be real and vulnerable. And I remember that, that first time, I, I remember I, it, it finished and I remember going around that day thinking, just, just having this amazing sense that I didn't feel like I had to grab in any way after the presence of God, but I just felt like his love was starting to be revealed to me. And it was kind of a strange thing because there was no, um, you know, there was no, definitely no structure to it. I was just being incredibly honest and incredibly vulnerable and just really wanting the Father to do something here. Right after a few more days, it, it happened that as I had the music on again, I'm just sitting there, again, it starts to happen again. This time, tears are coming down both sides of my face. I'm, I'm not necessarily getting any, any words or, or vision or sentences being spoken to me or scriptures or, or verses or passages. I, I'm just sensing this incredible place of safety and this incredible place of acceptance. That, that despite my, my struggle, despite my burnout, despite all that was going on, I, I am being just incredibly accepted and there's this warmth of just his love coming to me. And even at that point, I started to realize that something is happening here. I couldn't put language to it. I couldn't put terminology to it or even theology to it or even scripture to it. But I knew something real and tangible that was happening in here. Something in here was being revealed to me on the inside here. One of the things we say very strongly in Father Heart Ministries is that his love is his substance. You know, God is love. You know, he doesn't get up this morning, Friday the 20th of September. Oh, I think I'm going to love California today. There's no choice involved when God loves us because he is love. Are you with me? In our lives, there's been a lot of choices that we've made whether to love or not love, hasn't there? Certainly in my life, God does not make 
those choices. Because he is love. He's the very embodiment, the very essence of love, because that is who he is. Well, as that year went on, love just came. It, it, it increased, it intensified, and I just started to discover a new sense of freedom, a new sense of safety, a new sense of acceptance. And it was like I wasn't, I wasn't trying to get something or necessarily, it was like now something had really come to me. Love had found me. Love had really found my heart. I'm, I'm, things in my marriage started to change and areas in my, my life, struggles in my life started to disappear. My relationship with my kids started to change. I'm thinking, how am I doing this? How is, how is this all happening? And then realize and understanding this is really what is happening is that the Father is revealing who he is to me. His love is working there and changing something so deep on the inside of me. I remember by the time November had come that year and slowly it was almost like our hearts, it's almost like our hearts had found hope again. I wasn't trying to get hope, but our hearts were hopeful again. Because, you know, we're so trying to get these things, don't we? We're trying to get acceptance or hope. You know, we, we, we're trying to get something or put something into our life. But a lot of those things actually flow out of a revelation and the very substance of his love on the inside of us. You know, I hear people all the time, you know, about patience is really a good one. Now, people say, well, give me patience and give it to me now, God. And, you know, we, we, we try to put all these, all these different things in our life to try and make us to become more, more patient, you know. My wife reminds me every time I drive that there's still areas of patience that I need to grow in. And she's exactly right. But sometimes what we've actually failed to see is that patience is actually an outworking of love. Love is patient. Patience is an outworking of love. It's not like love and patience are two different entities. Love is God and the very love of God can produce patience. When Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, in Galatians 5.22, it says, now the fruit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, etc., etc. And all the other attributes that follow, I believe, are the outworkings of the very love of God as a substance, the love of the Father as a substance in the very cavity of our hearts. Well, in November 2006, I'm just, I'm just sitting up, upstairs and this was one of the occasions when I just, I was just, had the Bible open. And as I, as I opened the Bible, I thought, well, let's just look a little bit at John 15. And I read John chapter 15 and I wasn't expecting this or looking for this. 
But I read John 15 and verse 9. And no sooner as I said the first five words, it was like this waterfall of tears just gushed out of my heart. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying to his disciples, as the Father loved me. That was as far as I got to. I realized that if Jesus could be loved by his Father while on earth, Jesus wasn't given a factual doctrinal position of what the Father's like. Jesus was given an experiential testimony of what he's experienced from his Father. The Father was loving the Son. Do you get it? The Father was in the Son. The Son was in the Father. And the Father was loving him. There was a movement of love going on in the heart of the Son from the heart of the Father. Love, even though Jesus knew the Father loved him, even Jesus knew about the Father's love, there was a flow of the Father's love in the very heart of the Son. Well, I'd read that day, and I'd read it hundreds of times before. As I read it that day, it was like a a fountain, a waterfall of tears just break out, and I'm just crying like a little baby. And I'm overwhelmed. My heart is completely overwhelmed with his acceptance of me. Despite my sin, despite my stuff, despite my brokenness, despite my shame, he loves me. And there's never been a moment in my existence, there has never been a moment in my existence when he has not loved me. Just let, just take a moment right now. Just take a moment right now and just consider that. That in your life, however bad the skeletons might be in your wardrobe, there's never been a moment when he has not loved you. My realization of that truth rocked my world. There's never been a moment when he's not loved you. You are always worthy of his love. Well, just let it rest on you. Just take a moment with that thought. There's never been a moment when he's not loved you. See, most Christians have two obstacles to get over. One obstacle is... He cannot love me because of what I've done. 
Well, in our tenacity and effort and faith and everything else, we managed to get over that obstacle. And then we come to the second obstacle. And the second obstacle we face is this. I'm not really good enough, so I'm going to try and do more in order for him to love me more. And there's nothing we can ever do that is ever going to cause him to love us more than what he already loves us. I know that might be disappointing, but in fact that is quite freeing. That brings a lot of liberty. What started to happen in 2005 and in 2006 was that my heart started to have a revelation that the Father loved me. And it's not stopped. It was like my heart opened. It was like I became a little child once again. It was like my faith got renewed, restored. And it was like I found my father. And it was like I came home. A lot of us are looking for identity, aren't we? You know, one of the big questions we have in our culture is, who are we? Who are we? Well, I'm not going to tell you who you are or what you should become. But what I will tell you is who he is and what he's done. Because when we see who he is and what he's done, we'll discover who we are. The revelation of our identity is hidden in the revelation of who the Father is. Because it was the Father that designed and created us. We'll never understand who we truly are until we understand who our Father is. Because our identity is directly connected to our lineage, where we originate from, our origins are completely connected with our Father. I might talk more about that this weekend. Well, I want to leave it there right now for tonight. We've got a long day tomorrow, which is going to be great. But I wanted to give you a little taste of this evening. I want you to get to know me a little bit. Okay? I'm a kind of, this is who I am. I talk like this when I'm eating Indian food, when I'm drinking coffee, and I talk like this when I'm behind a pulpit. I met a, one of my heroes is a guy called Reinhard Bonnke. I got to meet him at, a few years ago in Sweden, had lunch with him. 
And it always fascinated me the way Reinhard Bonnke preached. Well, let me tell you, when he talks to you while he's eating his potatoes and meat, he talks in exactly the same way. He's real. He's absolutely real. And that's, that's what I'm like. That's who I am. And my, my heart and prayer for you guys this weekend, I've been looking forward to this for many weeks to come here, is to see a revelation of who the Father is released into your heart. That you'll know him as your Father. Let me tell you, the most transforming thing that has ever taken place in my life, second to my own salvation, is having a revelation that God is my Father. It changed my Christianity. Completely changed my Christianity. Perhaps we could stand up. All I want you to do is you to put your hand on your heart. We might have some quiet music playing in the background. Quiet, quiet music playing in the background. <laughs> da da da. <laughs> put our hands on our hearts shall we Father I thank you so much for this weekend before us these hours and time that we've got and Father as we look to you and as we as we just spend time before you Father I ask that you would come and reveal to us who you are as a father as a loving compassionate father father we would start to encounter that individually in our hearts not just corporately but individually we would start to see and know and experience your love for us. And that love, Father, would rock, change and transform the very core of our being. Father, we've been so used to power But I thank you, Father, that the love of God is the power of God. So, Father, show us, reveal to us at our time this weekend who you are, Father. There's never been a moment in our lives when you've not loved us, where you've not thought about us, And I thank you, Father, for the fact that you're going to reveal who you are as a father to us this weekend. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.